0: Good morning, everybody. And welcome to Grace Church at the Medina East Campus. We are so, so glad that you're able to be with us. And of course, Happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are here today. We love you and appreciate you and are just so thankful for you. And uh, really excited today because this morning we're actually beginning a brand new series that we are calling um, Decisions. And like I said, if you're a guest with us here this morning, you really came at an awesome time. Uh, we oftentimes say that the beginning of a series is the best opportunity uh, to get to know Grace Church, to get acquainted with us. Usually in a series, what we do is we pick a topic, and then we talk about it until we run out of stuff to say, and then we move on to another topic. And so you're, you're kind of joining us at the beginning of a thought process, and so thanks for being here. And as you can tell, uh, probably from the title of the series, what we're going to be talking about is uh, we're going to be talking about the art of decision-making. The art of decision-making. You see, because one of the things that all of us have in common in this room is that each one of us, um, every single day of our life, make hundreds upon hundreds of decisions. And of course, those decisions range from the very small and even the subconscious decisions that we make, like what to eat for breakfast or which hand to open the refrigerator door with, to the big, complex, life-changing, life-altering decisions, uh, things like who to marry, what career to choose, what school to go to, which path to take, where to live, those kind of decisions. So we said one of the things that all of us have in common is that all of us make decisions. In fact, it's been said, some of you may have heard this before, that our lives are a sum total of our decisions. That our lives are a sum total of our decisions. And to some extent or another, that's true, right? That each one of us that is in this room today, uh, that, is, that you're in this room, that you're in the circumstances in life that you're in, you're in the relationship that you're in, you're at the school that you're at, you live in the house that you live in right now, you're in the family structure that you're in right now, in large part because of a series of decisions that you made. So it probably goes without saying that our decisions are really, 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 really important. Our decisions are really important because our decisions over time will compound, they will set a trajectory for our life, and ultimately they will lead us to a destination, right? And so that's part of why we're doing this series. We want to talk about the art of making great decisions. And of course, like I said, for all of us, this is a relevant series because all of us face decision-making. But for some of you, this might be especially timely. Uh, Maybe for you, you're a person and you're facing a big decision right now. We know that high school graduation is upon us, and so maybe you're a high school student and you're looking to graduate, or maybe uh, you have a high school student. And of course, there's all the questions that come with that, right? What college should I go to? Should I go to college? What career path should I choose? Tons and tons of decisions, decisions, decisions. For some of you right now, you're graduating from college, or maybe you have a student that's graduating from college, and again, you're saying, man, what should I do with my life? Should I pursue further education? Put our, should I pursue a different career path? Should I pursue a new kind of thing? Or should I move in state or out of state? Or what should I do? All these decisions that you're trying to make decisions, decisions, decisions. For some of you right now, you're trying to make serious career decisions. Maybe you're maybe you're kind of tossing up the idea of switching organizations. You work in one place and you're thinking about going to another place. Or maybe you're looking for a career change altogether, pursue something different. Or maybe there's a new business venture that, that uh, that there's uh, some potential there for that, and you're trying to figure that out. Decisions, decisions, for some of you, it's retirement. There's financial decisions. I could go on and on down the list, but for some of you, this series is incredibly pertinent because you are looking down the barrel of some major decisions right now. And so what we're going to be talking about in this series is we're going to be talking about the art of making great decisions. How do you make great decisions? And of course, as you can imagine, because we are a church, our approach is that we're going to be looking at the Bible. And we're going to be looking at what does the Bible teach about making great decisions, great decisions that honor God and great decisions that will ultimately lead you to the life that God desires to you, to the fullness of life that God wants for you. And listen, I just want to tell you that I really think that for many of us, you're going to be surprised at what we have to say. The Bible has some incredible stuff to teach us about great decision-making. And even if you're a person that you're not a Bible person or you're not a church person or maybe you don't even know if you believe in God or the whole Jesus thing and you're just investigating that, listen, I think this series is for you too because I think you're going to be surprised at some of the incredibly insightful things that the Bible teaches us about making great decisions. And of course, as we uh, do this series, what better time to start than on Mother's Day, right? You're like, "Why, why is that? Well, because your mama wants you to make good choices, right? And I know that because I have a mama, and my mom wants me to make good choices too. And there's nothing that can bring more joy to to your parents' heart, to your mom's heart, than making good decisions. And so we're going to be doing that together as we look at what the Bible teaches about great decision-making. Now, as we start to investigate what the Bible speaks about making great decisions, I need to let you know that at the very center of what the Bible teaches about making great decisions is this concept— called God's will, okay? Some of you may have heard of that before. Some of you may not have heard of that term before, God's will. It's actually a biblical term, but to put it in layman's terms, God's will basically just means God's desires or God's plan, okay? Just in layman's term, whenever you hear this idea of God's will, we're referring to God's desire or God's plan. And what the Bible is gonna teach us as we look at what is the key ingredient to making great decisions according to the Bible, it is all rooted in this, understanding what is god's will seeking after god's will following god's will okay and so we're going to be digging into that now here's the problem the problem is that when we talk about god's will that a lot of times there is a great amount of confusion a great of a great amount of ambiguity and a great about a great amount of mystery that shrouds this topic even for those of us who go to church and who are bible people there can be a great amount of confusion Around this idea of God's will. So, just to illustrate what I'm talking about, I've actually prepared, kind of adapted, a five-question test. Okay, this is true and false, and I actually don't want you to answer these out loud. This is just quietly to yourself. Okay, so none of those kind of things. And look, no cheating. All right, so don't don't whisper in the ear of your neighbor, or anything like that. But here we go. I'm going to give you five questions to test what do you know about God's will. What do you think? What do you know? about God's will. Okay, so you ready for it? True and false. Don't answer out loud. Answer quietly to yourself. Here's the first question concerning God's will. Number one, God has a specific plan for my life, and I am supposed to follow and discover, okay? God has a specific plan for my life, and I am supposed to discover it, and I am supposed to follow it. True or false, answer quietly to yourself, okay? So this is the idea of God has a specific plan for me. He has a house picked out for me. He has a job picked out for me. He has a spouse picked out for me. There is the one, right? That's that idea. God has a specific will for my life, and I need to find it, and I need to follow it, true or false. Number two, little hunches or promptings that I feel are a primary way that I determine God's will to me. Okay, little hunches or promptings that I feel are a primary way that I de- determine God's will for me. So, I don't know, man. I just had, I had a prompting. I just I just really felt, really felt kind of led to that decision, right? I had a hunch about it. Is that an important part in determining God's will, true or false? Number three. An important part of making decisions that honor God is that I have peace about it. Okay, an important part of making good decisions that honor God is that I have a peace about it. Maybe you've heard people say this before. They're like, boy, I was thinking about that job and I was praying about it, but you know, I just never really felt peace, never really felt peace. So I think it's probably the wrong decision, right? Or I was thinking about this relationship and and yeah, he's a great guy or yeah, she's a great girl and all those things, but for some reason, I just wasn't feeling peace about it. Is that an important part of determining God's will? Number four, I should use a fleece when trying to determine God's will. I know some of you are like, what in the world does that even talk, a fleece? Um, okay, so this idea of a fleece is actually kind of adapted from an Old Testament story. But a fleece is essentially a verifying test to try to determine if something is from God or not. So let me give you an example of a fleece. This would be a fleece. Okay, So I have my cup of water up here with me, right? And so if I said this, if I said, okay, I'm going to put my cup on this stool. And if in the next five seconds this cup falls off the stool then God wants me to stop teaching, all right? And so we'll close in prayer, we'll all go home, and we'll get out early, all right? So the next five seconds, you ready? One, two, three. Some of you are like, dear God, please let it fall. <laughs> you know, it'd be <laughs> awesome. I had one guy at the first service, he's like, I was gonna go up and tackle that thing, man. <laughs> Four, Five. Okay, so apparently God wants me to keep teaching, right? That's the idea of a fleece. It's the idea of a, man, if I make this three-point shot, then God wants me to ask that girl out. Or if I make this three-point shot, you know, the Cavs were doing it, man, 25 threes in one game. I can do it. I'm feeling inspired. And if I can do that, that's that's a fleece, okay? True or false, God wants me to use a fleece in decision-making. All right, last one. I could give you a ton of questions, but we'll just do five. Fifth one, when faced with two good alternatives... Equally viable options. I have to be careful not to make the wrong choice and miss God's will. Right. So when I am faced with two great alternatives, two equally viable op- opportunities, so so two schools, two colleges, and they both make sense with my major and with my career goals and with what I'm trying to pursue in life, I got to be real careful that I pick the right school that God wants me to go to. Right. Two houses in the same area. Um, they both are the same distance from work in the same uh, the same kind of financial range. Uh, so I have to be real careful to decide which one God wants for me, true or false. Okay, five-question survey about God's will, true or false. Here's the answers. You guys ready for them? All right, number one, the answer to number one is false. The answer to number two is false. The answer to number three is false. Four, false. You see where this is going. Number five, all of them are false false. And, and listen, I know that, that even when I say that, for some of you, that introduces kind of a crisis of thinking, because maybe you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, but I was always taught, I was always taught, and I always thought, I always thought, and I think not, and, and other things that rhyme with all the kind of thing, right? And, and for some of you, this kind of brings up a, a crisis of thinking. If that's the case, if that's you, I think this just reveals that there is a lot of confusion around this topic of understanding what God's will is. And so one of the reasons that we want to do this series is to help clarify this whole idea of what God's will is, to kind of clarify some of the confusion so that we can make great decisions. But another reason that I want to do this series, quite honestly, is because did you know the Bible tells us that we can know what God's will is? That we can actually know what God's will is. The Bible teaches that in fact let me just show you the theme verse for this whole series it's ephesians chapter 5 so check this out ephesians chapter 5 i'll put it on the screen verse 15 to 17 it says the apostle paul is writing to a church in ephesus he says be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil now listen to verse 17 therefore do not be foolish but understand what the lord's will is Understand what the Lord's will is. And I want you to to pay attention to it. I want to just point out two things in this passage that I think are really important. The first one is, notice what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, I want you to understand what the Lord's will is. I want you to understand what the Lord's will is, right? And so what does that mean? Well, basically it means this. It means you can understand what the Lord's will is. The Apostle Paul would not command us to know what God's will is if it wasn't possible for us to know what God's will is. But the second thing I want you to notice in this passage is the Apostle Paul also tells us what's at stake if we don't. You notice what he says here? Don't be foolish. So in other words, what he's saying is if we fail to understand what God's will is for us, if we fail to understand what the Lord's will is, we are then inclined to making foolish decisions. We are susceptible to making bad decisions that we will regret and that ultimately will hurt us. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says, listen, no, listen, you have to understand what God's will is. And you guys, listen, I think that's such an important point. I think it's so important that God's will is something that we can know and we can understand. And the reason I think that's so important Is because for so many people, God's will seems so mysterious and so confusing and so ambiguous that for many of us, maybe we kind of view God as like a cosmic Easter bunny and his will are like Easter eggs that he hides and he just kind of puts us on a scavenger hunt and we have to go try to find God's will and we're constantly second guessing. I don't know, God, is this it? Am I getting hot? Am I getting cold? Like, what am I doing? And and listen, sometimes I think that we we can be confined to the tyranny of uncertainty in our decision-making processes and listen. I am firmly convinced, firmly convinced, that our heavenly Father does not want us to live under the tyranny of uncertainty. I am firmly convinced that our heavenly Father does not want us to live in a, in a state of paralysis in our decision making because we're constantly second guessing. Man, I don't know. Is this the right decision, God? Is this what you want? And I'm not even really sure about all those things. And listen, I believe God's will is something we can know, and it's something that we can follow. And so, listen. If you're making decisions right now in life, career decisions, school decisions, dating decisions, relational decisions, whatever, retirement decisions, any kind of decisions. If you're making decisions right now and you're asking the question, can I be certain that I am making a great choice? Can I be sure that what I am doing is what God wants me to do, that I am inside God's will? Can I just answer you and tell you that I believe the answer is a resounding yes, you can know. You can know. Your Heavenly Father doesn't want you to live under the tyranny of uncertainty. And I genuinely believe that by the end of the next four weeks in this series, that each one of us, if you stick with us for the next four weeks, that what you're going to find is that we will be freed from the tyranny of uncertainty and that you will be equipped to make great decisions And you can know what God's will is, all right? Now, I know that's a tall order, what I just said right there. And that's why we're we're spreading the series out throughout the next four weeks. We can't do it in one message, okay? So I I just need to warn you that today, today is just an introduction. That's all today is. I'm just introducing some basic concepts that are going to guide this series. And so having said that, let me just say that if at the end of today's talk you have more questions than you do answers— Or if you have a lot of questions and a lot of objections, which, by the way, I am open to all of that. You guys have heard me say it before. I'll say it again. Don't just take what I'm teaching you, okay? Go test it. Go read for yourself. Go study the Bible on your own, all right? So go test it. But listen, if you have more unresolved issues by the end of this service than you do answers, that's okay. Because, again, this is an... Introduction, and we're just kind of introducing some of the big ideas. I also just want to mention to you that if you are newer here to the Medina East campus, typically how we roll is we look at one passage of scripture. And then we cut it up and we look at it verse by verse. That tends to be the way that we do that. But I want you to know that in this series, we're going to approach things a little differently. And, uh, and the reason is because this is what we call a topical series. And what that means is we're dealing with the topic of decision-making in God's will. So we're going to be looking at a variety of passages of the Bible, not just one. So I tell you that because I don't want you to feel the need to have to flip in your Bible all over the place place to kind of track with me. I'll put all the verses on the screen for you so you can follow us and you can take notes. Now, if you want to flip in your Bible, absolutely would encourage you to, but you don't have to. We'll put the verses on the screen. Okay, decision-making. How do we make great decisions, and how do we do that within the will of God? Where do we start a conversation like this? Well, the best place for us to start a conversation like this would probably be to define some terms. So when we talk about this idea of God's will, biblically speaking, what is that, okay? When the Bible talks about God's will, can we, can we maybe kind of clarify what exactly does that mean? So, so what I'm going to do right now for the next couple of minutes, I'm actually going to give you some theology, all right? So I'm going to encourage you, to put your thinking cap on with me a little bit. I want you to track with me uh, because, listen, what we're about to talk about is going to be so important to the rest of this series, all right? So God's will, what is it, biblically speaking? Right, well, the term God's will shows up in the Bible all over the place. In fact, in the New Testament alone, that term, the will of God or God's will, shows up 64 times. And it is commonly believed by scholars and theologians that when the Bible speaks of God's will, that it's speaking of three different aspects of God's will. Okay, So you could think about these three aspects almost like three concentric circles. Okay? Three aspects of God's will almost like three concentric circles circles. And if you were to think about it that way, the outermost concentric circle, or the first aspect of God's will, as the Bible talks about it, would be something that is sometimes called God's sovereign will. Okay, God's sovereign will. So if you're like, what does that mean? The word sovereign, that's kind of a big word. Well, the word sovereign is basically just a fancy way to say all-powerful and all-authority. Okay, that's that idea, all power, all-authority. And so when the Bible talks about this idea of God's will, what it's talking about is that God's plan that God's desires, that God's will is all powerful, and that it is it, he has authority over all things. In other words, it's the teaching that God is in control of all things, and there is nothing that happens that is outside of the control of God, okay? This is the idea of God's sovereign will. Now, again, the Bible teaches this explicitly. I could give you Dozens of verses to back up what I'm talking about, but for our sake, I'll give you three. All right, let me give you three verses that talk about God's sovereign will. The first would be Daniel chapter 4. I'll put it on the screen. Daniel chapter 4, listen to what Daniel says. He says, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? All right. What is Daniel talking about here in Daniel chapter 4? Here's what he's talking about, God's sovereign will. Nobody can stop God's plan. Nobody can throw a monkey wrench into God's desires, into God's sovereign will. What does God do according to this passage? He does whatever he wants, all right? That's what God does. You notice in this passage in Daniel chapter 4, you notice what it says? It says, all peoples on earth are regarded as nothing. And by the way, I should just clarify That's not saying that God doesn't care about us and God doesn't love us. No, quite on the contrary, the Bible tells us that God loves us very much, that God is so committed to human flourishing that he sent his own son into this earth to die for our sins. So God is committed to us and he loves us. But what this passage is pointing out is the fact that humans cannot interfere with God's sovereign will. There is nothing that we can do to thwart his plans. Everything that happens is underneath his control. That's God's sovereign will. I'll give you another passage. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, Uh, Solomon puts it this way. He says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Some of you are like, what's that all about? What is a lot exactly? Well, some of you might know back in Bible times, the way that people would make decisions sometimes is they would cast lots. It's a lot like rolling dice or it'd be like drawing straws or for us it'd be like flipping a coin. And you see what this passage says? It says, every time a lot is cast or a coin is flipped, the outcome has already been determined. Those things are inside of God's control. There is no accident. There is no haphazard. All of these things are underneath the sovereign control of the sovereign will of God. All power, all authority. One more more passage. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. The apostle Paul says, In him, in Christ, we've been chosen, having been predestined. Listen to this. According to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will so that in order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So you see that passage says, it's awesome. It says, listen, everything that happens, God uses to work into conformity to the purposes of his will. Some of you are like everything, and I'm like everything. You're like, even that painful circumstance I went through, even that evil thing that that person did to me, even that abuse that I suffered and I went through, even, even the disease that I felt, God is, God is using those things in conformity to his will everything is what the Bible says now listen I know that when we talk about this idea that there is nothing that happens outside of God's control that God is a sovereign will that introduces a lot of tensions and it introduces a lot of questions one of the big questions we ask is man if there's if that means that nothing is outside of God's control well then how do you account for human suffering and for pain does God want those things to happen and by the way it's a great question it's a great question I would encourage you, by the way, if you're genuinely asking that question to go back and check out our previous series. We actually just finished a series called No End in Death, and we took six weeks to work through that one question, the question, how can a loving God allow pain, suffering, and loss? And I'm telling you, there are answers. There are answers to those questions, and I'd go back and check them out. But listen, even though there's tensions and there's questions that surround this idea of God's sovereign will, the Bible does not apologize for this. It is explicitly clear. God has a sovereign will, and there's nothing that we can do to stop it or to thwart it. All good, all bad, all evil, all of those things are contained within God's sovereign will, that he works those things according to his purposes. When the Bible talks about God's will, the outermost concentric circle is God's sovereign will, but that's not the only way the Bible talks about God's will. There's actually another term that's also used for God's will, and that's what some theologians call God's moral will, okay, God's moral will. Now what is God's moral will? Well, simply put, God's moral will is referring to God's desires for our behavior, God's desires for our conduct, and God's desire for our character. Okay, that's the idea of God's moral will. So basically what's it referring to? All the commandments that God gives in Scripture, all of the precepts that God gives us. So don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, right? All of those things, that's God's moral will. Now, here's the big difference between God's sovereign will and God's moral will. The big difference is it is absolutely impossible for you and I to live outside of God's sovereign will. Can't do it. We cannot live outside of God's sovereign will. There is nothing we can do that's going to thwart the sovereign will of God. But God's moral will, on the other hand, we can live outside of that. We can make decisions That are outside of God's more will. Okay, so for the sake of clarity, let me just kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. I want you guys just for a second to look around at the walls of this room, okay? And I want you just to imagine with me for a second that the walls of this room represent God's sovereign will, okay? That's God's sovereign will. All of us are inside of it, right? whether you want to be or not. (laughs) Some of you are like, I love coming to church. I love it being here. And some of you guys are like, my mom drug me out here today. It's Mother's Day. That's why I'm here. But listen, whether you want to be or not, whether you like it or not, the one thing that we have in common is that all of us are inside of this room right now. And that's a lot like God's sovereign will. It's a lot like God's sovereign will right? We are all inside of God's sovereign will, whether you believe in God or not, whether you follow God or not, whether you live according to what he teaches or not, God uses all things to work together, the conformity of his purposes and of his will. So the truth is that, that being in this room right now is a lot like being in God's sovereign will. Unless of course you're watching this online right now, or if you're listening to the podcast, then you are outside of God's sovereign will <laughs> and you are an anathema to us. So you should have came to church, dude, just saying, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, no, but just kidding about, but you know, you know, so that's God's sovereign. Will. Okay. So if you think about that, that's God's sovereign will, how would we understand God's moral will? Well, God's moral will is a lot, lot more like this giant hula hoop that I brought. Okay. So I brought this gigantic hula hoop and basically you could think about God's moral will like this. Okay. I actually tried to hula hoop with this thing earlier. It is ridiculously hard, so I'm not going to try it again, but, uh, but this is God's moral will. Now, let me ask you a question. Is God's moral will inside of God's sovereign will? Yes, Absolutely let me ask you another question. Is it possible for me to be, if I'm inside of God's moral will, am I also inside of God's sovereign will? Yes. If I'm outside of God's moral will, am I outside of God's sovereign will? No, right? And this is how we're to understand God's moral will, okay? This is the the things that God has commanded us This is the scriptures that he tells us how he wants us to behave, his character that he wants us to have, all of those things. This would be his commandments. But it is entirely possible for you and I to step outside of this, to make decisions outside of the circle. Now, that does not put us outside of God's sovereign will, not for a second. But this is God's moral will. So let me give you a couple passages to kind of help you with God's moral will. In fact, did you know, here's the first thing I'll mention to you. Did you know that it's God's moral will that you are saved? It is God's moral will that you are saved. Now, some of you are like, what do you mean by saved? Well, the Bible teaches us that you and I are estranged from God because of our imperfections and because of our sin. And so God has created a way for us to be reconnected with him, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came, and he died on our behalf. And when we believe him and we receive him, then we have a renewed relationship with God, and we are then one with him. And the Bible says that decision to embrace Jesus Christ, that's God's moral will for you. That's what God wants for you. God loves you, and he cares for you, and he sent his son to die for you, and he wants you to embrace his son, Jesus Christ. I'll give you a passage of scripture on this. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, God is patient with you. Listen to this. Not wanting, some translations, not willing anyone to perish, but that everyone might come to Repentance. Okay, so here's what the Bible says. The Bible says God wants you to embrace Jesus Christ. He wants you to come into a place where you can follow Jesus and that he will be your Lord and that he'll be your Savior. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it possible for you to make a decision to not embrace Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, totally. Millions upon millions of people do that every day, make that decision. Now, listen, I, I also just want to say um, there might be many of you right now who are in a position where you're like, I don't really, I'm still investigating the whole Jesus thing. I don't even know if I believe in God. I'm still kind of trying to figure it all out. Listen, can I just tell you that if you're a person that's investigating Jesus, we count it an honor that you would let us be part of that investigation. We know there's a million other things you could be doing with your Sunday morning, and we do not take that lightly, all right? But let me just also say that if you're a person that's investigating Jesus Christ, I believe very firmly what the Bible teaches, and here's what the Bible teaches, that it's God's desire for you. God loves you and cares for you, and it's his desire for you that you embrace Jesus Christ. That's God's moral will for you. But you know uh, another verse, the Bible tells us that it's God's moral will that we're sanctified. Do you know that? Let me show you what I'm talking about. In First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, "It is God's will that you should be sanctified." That's what it says outright. Some of you are like, what does sanctified mean? That's another kind of churchy word. That's kind of another churchy word. Well, basically, it's a fancy word that basically just means living in accordance with what God has commanded. That's what sanctified is. It's that my life looks more and more like what, what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says. So he actually clarifies. Look at this passage again. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each one of you should learn to control his body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who does not know God, And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God wants us to be sanctified. In other words, he wants us to live inside of the context of what he has commanded us. So a couple examples. Here's one. God says, it's not my will for you that you live in sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Simply put, sexual immorality is gratifying sexual desires in a manner that goes outside of the boundaries of what scripture teaches. The Bible says that God made sex. God loves sexuality and He designed it for a very specific purpose. And the Bible says the context of biblical sexuality is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. That's what God desires. And the Bible says that's God's will for us. And whenever we live outside of God's desires for sexuality, the Bible says God doesn't want that. Because, why? Is it because He hates us and he, He's, he's just so restrictive? No, no, no. It's because He loves you. And it's because He knows that outside here, there's regret. There's pain and there's hurt, and your Heavenly Father loves you so much that he says, I want you to be in here. Because when you live according to the created design that God has created things for, you're going to experience the fullness of life that God intends for you. In the same passage, it says that we shouldn't wrong each other. Basically, the Bible says it's God's will that we have relational health with each other that we seek reconciliation, that we don't hold grudges, that we don't slander one another or speak ill of one another. God says, that's my will for you. And he says, I don't want you to step outside of that because if you come out here, there's going to be all kinds of painful choices. All of us know that. We've all had bitterness and resentment. We've all, we've all been in situations where we've slandered or gossiped about it. it doesn't lead to good things. And so God says, this is my will for you. So when we talk about God's moral will, it's talking about the commandments of the Bible, all the things that God wants us to do and not to do. God says, I want you to be thankful. That's my will for you. I want you to pray continually. That's my will for you. I want you to avoid sexual immorality. That's my will for you. I don't want you to lie. I don't want you to cheat. I don't want you to steal. I don't want you to do those evil things. I don't want you to root for Pittsburgh for crying out loud, right? It's so evil. It's just the most wicked, ab- abhorrent thing you can think of, right? And, uh, and there's that whole idea of, of God's moral will. Now, here's the thing. That's God's moral will. But is it possible for you and I to make decisions outside of God's moral will? Yes. And not just yes, but the truth is all of us have. Every— Another thing we all have in common: every single one of us has stepped outside of the circle. Many of us twice this morning, right? You're like, dude, it was the only way I could get the, mini kid, the kids in the minivan this morning. I had to, right? And and that's the whole idea of God's moral will. And listen, if you're anything like me, my guess is, my guess is that like me, you have found, and I could just, I'll just, I'll just put myself on display. I have found that the times that I have stepped outside of the circle have led to the decisions that have brought the most regret and pain in my life. The things I look back at and think, man, I wish I could change that. I wish I could have done that differently are are unanimously a result of me stepping out and saying, I am going to determine things on my own. I'm going to determine freedom on my own. I'm going to determine sexuality on my own. I'm going to determine relationships on my own. I'm going to do it my way, and it's led to the most pain and the most regret that I felt in this life. So God's sovereign will, okay, you can think about that like this room. No one can get out of that. Everyone is in it. You cannot stop it. You qu- cannot thwart it. That's God's sovereign will. God's moral will, these are the commands and the precepts that God has given us in Scripture, how he wants us to live. It is entirely possible for us to make decisions outside of God's moral will. And there's one more aspect of God's will that is commonly believed, in, and that is called God's personal will or God's specific will. So if this room represents God's sovereign will and this, this hula hoop represents God's moral will, God's specific will could be identified like a dot, okay? It's like a dot, and this is like God's personal, specific will for me, okay? So this is concerned not with issues of right and wrong. Issues of right and wrong, that's God's moral will, right? Should I I lie? Nah, probably not. I don't think that'd be a good decision. It probably would lead to a lot of regret, so not a great choice, right? Um, Should I love my neighbor or should I kill my neighbor? Probably shouldn't kill your neighbors. Probably not going to go too well for you if you do that. That's an issue of right and wrong. This is, not, this is not concerned with issues of right and wrong. This is concerned with issues of right and left. Does it make sense? Directional decisions. What school should I go to, God? What college should I go to? Should I go to this college or should I go to this college? What career path should I choose, God? Can you show me, right? God, wh- which person should I marry? Is there the one for me? Um, God, what house should I buy? Do you have a house picked out for me? God, what kind of car should I drive? And you see, this is incredibly difficult to identify. And the reason this is so hard to identify is because you're not going to find any passage of Scripture that tells you exactly what to do. You're not going to find a passage of Scripture that says, Ohio State, go there. Don't go there. That's not, you're not going to find that verse. You're not going to find a verse that says, marry this one person. Now you're going to find a bunch of verses that say, marry this type of person. But you're not going to have one verse that says, marry this person. If you're trying to figure out what kind of car to drive, the Bible, there's not a verse that just says, you know, Ford. Like, it's not there. In fact, you know, I've actually been doing some studying on this this past week. And I was looking up verses that tell us what kind of car to drive. And I think I found it. Um, In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, do you know it says that they were all together and they were in one accord? So, (laughs) So apparently it's Honda. Right, That's what God wants for us. But let's see what I'm saying is, is that when it, as it relates to these personal, individual decisions of God's will, it's, it's very difficult for us to identify because the Bible doesn't give us a lot of clarity in that. And what can happen sometimes is we get really anxious because we're like, man, i got to figure it out. i got to get on the dot. i got to get on the dot. i got to figure out what school God wants. i got to figure all that kind of stuff out. Now, now I'm going to say something right now that might introduce a crisis of thinking to some of you. And I'm going to say something right now that we're going to spend the rest of the four weeks unpacking, and that's this. I am firmly convinced that the idea that God has a personal, specific will for each one of us that we somehow need to discover and follow is false. And so let me just say that again. Let me say it again. I am firmly convinced that the idea that God has a specific, personal will for each and every single one of us that we are responsible for finding and following is false. False. All right. Now, I want you to hear what I said, because what I didn't say was this. I didn't say that God, ha- God doesn't have a plan for your life. No, nope, I believe God does have a plan for your life. But I think the notion that we have to somehow, it's our responsibility to discover that and follow that is not not at all what the Bible teaches. I believe it is false. And some of you are like, well, well, well what do you mean? How is it false? Well, I'll tell you a couple reasons. The first one is the idea that God has an individual personal will that we need to somehow discover and follow First off, it creates a ton of biblical problems. A ton of biblical problems. I'll just give you three, because today's an introduction, and we'll get more into this in weeks to come. Let me give you three biblical problems with this notion that God has a specific will that we need to follow. Here's the first one. Number one, in the Bible, the term God's will refers most often to knowing and obeying the Bible. I almost unanimously 64 times in the New Testament, almost unanimously, when the Bible talks about obeying God's will, it's talking about listening to his commandments and to the things that he has taught in the Bible. So it is God's will that you're thankful. It is God's will that you avoid sexual immorality. It is God's will that, 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 that you're honest. It's God's will that you have relational peace. It's God's will that if you suffer, it's for doing good. That's what the Bible talks most frequently about God's will. Here's the second problem. Number two, the phrase the will of God is never used in conjunction with personal life decisions. The phrase God's will is never used when you're talking about these type of issues in the Bible. Never. Every time the Bible talks about God's will, it's either referring to his sovereign will or it's talking about his moral will. But you never once, never once see in the bible about directional decisions what school should i go to what career should i have that god's will is incorporated that idea of god's will is incorporated with that here's the third problem number three spiritual success is promised to the one who obeys god's word spiritual success there are so many passages that tell us that spiritual success that god will bless us if we strive to live in here that that More than anything is what the Bible teaches. Spiritual success is to the one who strives to obey God's commandments and God's will for their life in that way, right? Proverbs chapter 3 is one of the greatest passages on this. Proverbs chapter 3 says, some of you guys might remember this, submit yourself to God, to his commandments, and he will make your path straight. Did you hear that? Submit yourself to God and to his commandments, and you don't have to find the path for your life he will make your path straight. And so if we concern ourselves here with obeying God's moral will, the Bible tells us that God is the one who will direct and lead our our steps, and he will make our path straight. So this this creates a whole bunch of biblical problems. And so again, I think this idea, God has a specific personal will that we need to somehow discover and find, is not biblical. And by the way, just to let you know, I'm not the only one who thinks that. Um, In fact, the majority of theologians and scholars who have studied this topic come to the same conclusion. I'll just give you a couple quotes just for the sake of uh, clarity. Haddon Robinson, he's an incredible theologian. He said it this way in this phenomenal book, by the way, called Decision Making by the Book. If you're looking for some great resources to do some further study, it's a great one. Here's what Haddon Robinson says. He says, we are shocked when we turn to the Bible and discover that asking the question, how do we know the will of God for life's tough decisions— isn't even a biblical question. God does not encourage us to ask the question, and even more significantly, God gives no answer. The Bible's silence almost shouts at us. And what he's saying is this idea that I got to figure out, God, what school is is, is, is she the one? And He's like that question, asking, is this God's will? Is not even a biblical question that we're supposed to ask. The Bible never commands us to ask it. Here's another great Uh, Great quote, Gary Friesen wrote a phenomenal, probably the best book on the topic, in my opinion. It's called Decision Making and the Will of God. Pick it up, pick it up. It's really worth a read. Check it out. He says this, the scriptures do not command us to find God's will for most of life's choices, nor do we have any passage instructing us on how it can be determined. And once again, he's just reinforcing the same thing that had had Robinson said. And So this idea, God's individual will, I have to somehow discover it creates a bunch of biblical problems. But this, I'll, I'll end with this but it also creates a whole bunch of internal problems. It also creates a whole bunch of personal internal problems when we start to believe that God has a specific will and I have to figure it out and I have to somehow find it and I have to sometime follow it, right? And what are some of those internal problems? Well, here's the first one. The first internal problem is this. The genuine seekers of God become frustrated, confused, and paralyzed in decision-making. See, one of the negative effects of this belief is that is that genuine people, genuine followers of Jesus, so for those who follow Jesus in this room, and again, I know not everyone in this room follows Jesus, but for those of us who do, who genuinely want to determine what God's will is, we can sometimes find ourselves confused and frustrated and paralyzed in our decision-making processes, because we can say, man, God, I have two really great options, and I'm really trying to find out which one you want me to take, and so I'm praying, and I'm asking for clarity, and I'm confused, and if you would just give me a sign, and if you would just show up from heaven and just tell me what it is I'm supposed to do, and we become confused, and we Become frustrated, and then what happens sometimes is we become paralyzed. We don't make any decision because we're like, oh, I'm just waiting for God to tell me what the next move is, and that's what happens. Now, listen, I said this at the beginning of the sermon, and I'll say it again. I am firmly convinced that our Heavenly Father does not want us to live under the tyranny of uncertainty, that we don't need to live in paralysis in our decision making, that God wants us to be able to make confident and good decisions, and that we can do that because we can know God's will. Here's the second problem this creates. The second problem it creates is this: is that it can encourage superstitious practices. And uh, man, I, can I just be honest with you for a second? I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I went to seminary. I went to Bible school, and so I love, I love Jesus. But can I just be honest with you and say that Christians can do some really weird things, some weird stuff? Where I just I, like there, there are so many times I'll, I'll, I'll see something or I'll, I'll hear something. It's like man, it's just weird. Stop it stop that, right, and super, and sometimes what can happen is, we can make Christianity look a whole lot more like superstition, and, and, and so, for example, I talked about the fleece thing, and so people will make decisions that way, man, if the next car that turns around the corner is blue, that means that God wants me to buy a Mustang GT, you know, or whatever it is, I, I remember I, I was reading about Haddon-Robinson, was telling a story about a woman in his church, and she was trying to make a decision of whether or not she should take a job in California. And so she started praying, and she's like, God, show me your will, show me your will. And so it was before bed one night, and she's like, God, just give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. Do you want me to move to California? And she said, I woke up, and the first thing that I saw when I woke up in the morning was, was my alarm clock, and in big, bright numbers, it said 747. <laughs> she's like, and I knew that was my sign, Right? <laughs> I'm leaving on a jet plane. Like that's what she was after. And she's like, that's God's will for me. I love Haddon Robinson's response. Haddon Robinson said, I would have been way more impressed if your, alar- if your alarm clock would have said jumbo jet. And I'm like, yeah, it's weird, man. It's weird. Or how about this one? All right, I'm criticizing it, but I've done it. I've done this one before. How many of you have ever done this before? You're trying to find God's will, so you play Bible roulette. I'm <laughs> talking about anyone do this? Anyone besides me? Okay, apparently I'm all alone. Fine, all right. Fine, don't lie. That's outside of God's moral will. All right, so, so this idea of Bible, what's Bible roulette? Here it is. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what God wants from me. I'm trying to figure out, God, what job do you want me to take? And so, bam, there it is. Read the verse. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, what do you want to make us in preparations for you to eat at the Passover? God, what is that supposed to mean, right? And do you want me to be a chef? I don't understand it. And, and then if we don't like the answer, what do we do? We go again, right? We're trying to figure out, the answer, and listen, what happens is, man, we make the Bible into like a magic eight ball, and and we can, we, listen, we pull verses out of context, and all of us know this. It's one of the most dangerous things you can do, because if you start taking verses out of context, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Now, you have to make it, but you can do that. Maybe you guys heard the old joke, it's an oldie but a goodie, about the guy who was trying to determine God's will in a particular circumstance for his life. So he started playing Bible roulette, and he opened up his Bible, first passage, bam, Matthew chapter 27, verse five, Judas hanged himself. He was like, oh man, I don't like that. So he's like, let's try again. So he goes again, this time, second one, he puts his finger down, this time Luke chapter 10, verse 37, go and do likewise. <laughs> he's like, I do not like where this is going. Third, th- th- third time's a charm. So he goes after the third time, puts his finger down, this time John 13, 27, what you do, do quickly. Right? <laughs> and uh, again, just a, it's just an illustration, that same idea, we do weird stuff. We do weird stuff and ends up looking more like a, a lucky rabbit's foot than anything else. Here, here's the third thing, and this will be done. One of the last internal problems is that this creates spiritual FOMO. You guys know what FOMO is? Do you ever hear FOMO? FOMO uh, is actually a party term, believe it or not. It's the fear of missing out. That's what it is. And so it's this idea, I'm at one party, but there's another party, and I'm afraid that that party is better than this party. That's FOMO. And what, what happens when, when we get into this idea of trying to pursue God's specific will for my life, I have to find it and discover it, kind of got to get on the dot, got to get on the dot, is it creates spiritual FOMO. We are constantly afraid that we're missing out. Did I make the right choice? Did I make the right decision? Was I supposed to go to that school? Was I supposed to buy that car? Is this the right house for us? When we're constantly afraid and we constantly find ourselves in a place where we have the fear of missing out. We think to ourselves, man, i got to make the right choice. i got to figure out which college I'm going to go to. Because if I go to the wrong college, then I'm going to meet the wrong girl. And if I meet the wrong girl, I'm going to marry the wrong one. I'm going to miss the one. And they're going to have kids that should have never been here. And then one day, I'm going to walk down the street and I'm going to see someone else's kids. And I'm going to be like, you should be mine, you know. <laughs> and like, FOMO. We get FOMO. Fear of missing out. And let me just tell you, FOMO creates some dangerous stuff. Dangerous. First off, what it does is it creates false guilt. We're constantly guilty. We feel anxiety about everything. We're always second-guessing. God, is this the right decision? I don't really know. I don't know. But the other thing it does, it, this is so unhealthy, is it, it leads to extremely foolish decisions. I've seen this, this, this train of logic play out too many times as a pastor. I've heard people tell me this. They've said things like this. They've said things like, I'm pretty sure I married the wrong person. I was supposed to marry that other person that I met in high school but I missed God's will for me and I married the wrong person. And so I'm gonna leave this person. I'm gonna reconnect with this person on Facebook and then we're gonna, and I'm gonna get back on the dot. I'm gonna get back in God's will. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I promise you that's not God's will for you. I promise you. I can give you Bible passages on that that's not God's will. I've heard people say, there's this really unethical thing that's happening right now, but I really feel like it's what God wants for me. I think that this is God. No, 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 no. no. No, it is not. I promise you it is not. And see, that's what, that's what can happen is it creates FOMO, fear of missing out, and we make some really, really foolish decisions. Now, let me just say this last thing because, you guys, this has been so heavy on my heart this week. It's been so heavy on my heart. For some of you, you, you believe that because somewhere down the line you made a bad decision or because somewhere down the line you made a decision that you wish you could go back and change, or maybe for some of you, you've been spending so much of your life living outside of God's moral will, that some of you genuinely believe that that means that you are confined to living a second-class life in God's kingdom, that God is done with you, that you're damaged goods, and that, yeah, God can use other people, but he can't use me because of the decisions that I made. And can I just tell you, that's not true. It's not true, all right? It is never too late for you to get into God's moral will, for you to follow him today. And if you do that, God will take all the regrets and all the past mistakes and he will use those things and he will bring them into the conformity of his will and he will use them for the maximum glory of his son, Jesus Christ, right? That's what he wants to do. And so it is not too late to come into God's moral will. Okay, I'll leave you with this. God's sovereign will, all of us are in it. None of us can get out of it. God will do what he does. Everything is under his control. God's moral will, God's moral will is the commands and precepts that he has given us in scripture. The idea that God has a personal, specific will that each one of us needs to discover and follow is false. The key to making great decisions is in here. It's living inside of here, living in conformity to this. If I submit myself to God, he will make my path straight. Some of you are like, well, what does that mean then? Does that mean that God doesn't care about the decisions I make? Does that mean that, that we're left alone now, that we just have to make those decisions on our own? And let me just say, you have to come back for the rest of the series to find out, because the truth is, right, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. The truth is God cares very much, and the Bible has not been totally silent. But there's a lot of questions, I understand, and we'll deal with those in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much that you have not left us alone in this life. You have not, been, you have not left yourself veiled in mystery. But you've given us clarity. We can know what your will is. We can, and uh, this doesn't have to be some kind of ambiguous, mysterious thing. It can, God. It's concrete. It's real. It's tangible. It's it's followable. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would lead our hearts into the conformity of your will. God, your sovereign will. No one can stop you. (laughs) You're God. You're powerful. Everything is under your control, and I thank you for that, God. I thank you that you even take my mistakes and you take my blunders and you take my regrets and you use those things for your glory. I'm so thankful. But, God, at the same time, I'm thankful that you've given us clarity on this topic. So I pray in the weeks to come that you would liberate us from the, from the tyranny of uncertainty and bring us into the freedom of the children of God. And we pray these things in Christ's name.